You are listening to Back and Forth, a ping-pong chat about logistics. Brought to you by TGL, Think Global Logistics. Welcome to uh, TGL's newest segment, Back and Forth. If you haven't guessed or you can't see already, uh, which you probably can't if you listen to this on podcast, we're sitting at a ping-pong table. We're here for a candid conversation with uh, logistics industry experts and people. Uh, and our first guest here today is... Paul Zalai, I got that right? You have. Beautiful, one take. Uh, Paul Zalai from Freight and Trade Alliance or FTA and taking charge of the conversation, a face you've probably seen if you've looked at our YouTube channel, La Cheng, the CEO and founder of TGL. So gentlemen, thank you for joining us. La, you were here anyway because you work here, so uh, <laughs> which is fine, but Paul, thanks for coming in. Yeah, not a um, problem. Would you mind giving us a, bit, a little bit of a career background where you came from and and to where you are now and then maybe talk about FTA and, and what FTA does for the logistics industry. Yeah, so my background, I, um, I stumbled into the industry basically like so many other people did. I um, uh, applied for a job with a freight forwarding company that doesn't exist today but you might remember John Fletcher International. Yeah, yeah. They used to drive around in the little green vans um, and I thought, yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool job. I'll, um, I'll do that. So I, I uh, applied for it, got it and I was a runner for probably about six months before I even realised what the company was I was actually working for. But, you know, physically delivering documents, going to customs and the like. Once I understood a bit about what the industry was all about, I thought, well, I'll study to become a customs broker. These guys seem to be making good money. I wouldn't <laughs> mind being one of them. Um, so this is back in the early 1980s. Um, so I went to Sydney uh, TAFE College back then and I still got a lot of friends in the industry from back then. Um, then went on, worked for another small freight forwarding company, SCD Freight, which also doesn't exist today, but they were mainly in the rag trade around Surrey Hills mm. and the like. And then first of many bright ideas, I thought, well, I'll see what life is like on the other side of the fence. And um, I joined Customs in 1986, um, thinking I'll do that for a year or two and then get a bit of experience and then come back out in the industry. But um, I ended up actually really enjoying it. Mm-hmm. Um, did a secondment from there to the Federal Police for a while um, and then uh, took a liking to the IT systems. And again, as I was saying before earlier, I'm not an IT guy, but I understood how the old uh, now legacy systems work, um, the old compile, edifice, exit, air and sea cargo automation, yes. and to the point where I actually ended up running the help desk for those, those systems. Um, I ended up then moving to Canberra uh, and had a policy role down there and then I thought I was probably going to end up being a career public servant um, until an opportunity came up. There was talk about the introduction of a new computer system, the Mm. ICS, Mm. and um, integrated cargo system and they were looking, the government was looking for an industry representative to represent industry back to government. So I applied for that um, and then uh, after the second interview I went home to my wife and went, I think I'm actually going to get this, what are we going to do? So um, I actually uh, left customs then, took a contracted role to represent industry back to government, was quite outspoken because I could see the ICS implementation was heading towards uh, a bad uh, introduction. And that was a painful period for the industry. It was a very painful period. And um, after it was actually implemented, I actually got a phone call uh, at home and the gentleman said, it's Godwin Gretsch here from Prime Minister and Cabinet Department. I understand you're uh, an ex-customs officer and you're a troublemaker. <laughs> and I said, well, well you're half right. Um, I'm an ex-customs officer. But long story short, 
he flew me down to Canberra the next day, yeah. met with Prime Minister and Cabinet, and he was looking, how do we get this out of the, out yeah. of the newspapers? Yeah. Um, and I said, we basically have to fix the problem. A couple of weeks later, and you, you and all your listeners who were involved at the time would remember the pain, um, but there was uh, the minister at the time for customs was Chris Ellison. Mm-hmm. He called a crisis meeting and to my surprise he said that they're going to have an industry action group to look at the remedial action. It was going to be co-chaired uh, by Paul Zalai from industry and Phil Burns from customs. Now, Phil and I uh, didn't always see eye to eye <laughs> and we sort of looked at each other across the table thinking how is this going to work? But to, I think, probably to both of our credit, we uh, we made it work. Yeah. And um, over time, um, uh, you know, the system became a bit more workable. Yes. From there, I worked um, in industry association roles. And then, um, you know, 10 years ago, um, uh, my wife and I took three months trip around Australia, tried to discover the meaning of life, thought, well, what do we want to do now? Yep. Uh, do we... Do I want to go back in work in freight forwarding? And That's all right. due respect, Lara, yes. that didn't really appeal to me. <laughs> um, do I want to go back work in government? I'd been there and done that. Yes. Um, do I start a lawn mowing run? Probably would have been good after all this rain. <laughs> or um, And then we thought, well, what we do best is really this advocacy That's work. Right. So we thought, well, let's give it a go. Let's create our own entity of um, of an advocacy body. And then we were looking for a name. What's What's it going to be called? Um, so then I said, well, we said, look, FTAs are going to be the thing of the future, future free trade agreements. Yeah. I said, the business has got to be called FTA. Yeah. Now, what does FTA stand for? Yeah. So we worked backwards with the acronym. Right. And then we were originally talking Freight and Trade Australia. And then we thought, no, we're trying to bring together all these diverse stakeholders. So let's go for Freight and Trade Alliance. Mm-hmm. And so wind the clock forward 10 years and we've gone from strength to strength with no backing, just a lot of hard work from ourselves. Uh, We've got a fantastic team now and, um, yeah, we represent over 450 corporate businesses, including TGL, Um, but a lot of freight forwarding companies, some major importers. And then the other big change for us too was um, from the 1st of January 2017, we also took on the secretariat role for another group, uh, the Australian Peak Shippers Association, or APSA. right. Um, and that was a big turning point for us because um, uh, they're big exporters. So yes. between that group, they export about 600,000 TU yes. of exports a year. Yes. Um, so when we were going to Canberra with our advocacy work, with all due respect again to forwarders and even importers, uh, we got a lot more traction when we said we're representing also Australian exporters. Yes. And it was like, well, welcome, gentlemen, how can we help you? Yes. Um, <coughs> so that's... Um, that's a bit of a bit of the background. Well, I think your FTA, you know, the fact that it's called an alliance, it's mm. it's aptly named, you know, because for too long the industry, the freight industry and the trade has not really been seen as an alliance. Well, especially by yeah. the people that we serve. So I think the name is spot on. Um, so allow me to personally welcome you again, Paul. Yeah, thank you. Lord. This is our um, inaugural uh, show. And I was saying to the guys when we secured your um, your your um, your participation and was like god we 
we've punched a bit high. Oh. I go, how are we going to get uh, um, of the higher caliber guests after we've had Paul? So hopefully, you know, we haven't uh, shot out of the gate too, <laughs> too quickly and too high. So the reason why I was very high to wanting to you you to be on the show, Paul, is exactly what you just said. Um, remember, it was three years ago when you started your business, which we were then a small, a much smaller company, and we were a member for I think one one mm. year. And then later on, we dropped out purely because mm. I guess at the time, um, you know, we didn't really see is what this, it was happening. Is this a confession session? Yeah, it was it? a confession <laughs> session. You do look like, you know, the, the good father. <laughs> um, and we dropped out because, you know, at the time, we, we, we I haven't seen any of the advocacy work that you've mm. been doing. And for us, there was a lot of self-interest, obviously, mm. of survival and all that sort of sure. stuff. So resources was tight and what have you. Um, but over the years, I kept, you know, watching your progress and your advocacy, and you've been loud. You've been mm. very, very loud, and it's been fantastic. And it's been something that's very close to my heart. And one of my biggest qualms with the industry is, we might have a few bodies, but none of them are loud. Mm. You know, none of them have created the, the voice that this industry needs. Mm. Um, you know, when you're talking to different ministers and you're, you know, lobbying people and so forth, and you know, just to follow that is something I think is fundamental to any robust industry. So, 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 so because of that, I commented on a few of your, your posts on LinkedIn and that's when we re-engaged with yourself and became a member again to highly support your efforts. So again, I want to thank you for your time. No, thank um, you. Definitely welcome. Um, and thank you for being our very first important guest. Mm. Um, you know, earlier on we were sitting down, we were talking, you know, that I can feel that this is your favourite subject. Like yeah. this is my favourite subject yeah. as well. So we can't literally talk until the cows come home. <laughs> but we should try not to. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, so overall, I think, you know, like you said something in your introduction, Paul, which struck a chord with me and I think it will struck a chord with all logistics people listening or watching this. And that is we stumbled into this industry, mm. right? Um, I would dare say over 90% of us in this industry, we've stumbled upon it. Mm. Um, and you know, you've been in the industry for a lot longer than I have. Um, I found this job when was answering, looking at the newspaper, I think it was the Sydney Morning Herald in the back mm. pages when you used to mm. have to apply for a job. Mm. And it was uh, promises for international travel. Yeah, <laughs> and it was out about this big. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know what that was. Um, yeah. And it turned out it was uh, uh, Fritz Flyway at the time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 And uh, and I was a, um, 21 coming out of university mm -hmm. and I was a salesperson mm -hmm. or sales trainee role. Didn't, mm -hmm. Still didn't know what it was. And, you mm -hmm. know, like, just like you said, six months into it, still didn't know what the hell I was yeah. doing. Yeah. So it definitely, I think um, that has been the recurring trend that I. I personally experience and also mm. speaking to folks such as yourself, continue to hear. Mm. And I feel that because of that, this is why our industry haven't been as robust as if, I mean, as required, because mm. we don't have really what you call a motivated workforce. Yeah. If you're stumbled into something, you're not really motivated no. to do better. No. Um, and, um, and the world's moved on. You know, mm. the, the requirements from the other side, you know, mm. the customer we serve, they've gone, you know, more advancing their requirements. Mm. And our industry have always somewhat lagged yeah. behind it, always trying to play catch up. And it's not because we don't want to, it's again, going back to the workforce. And my personal views is that, you know, without advocacy, which is your doing, without promoting the industry, 
without any self-interest, but mm. literally just promoting the industry. Yeah. We're not going to improve the talent pool. Yeah. Right. We were at a supply chain awards last week in Melbourne, and it was really good to hear, you know, about the folks that was at that table. There was a lot of industry captains in that room, mm. and it was good to just hear that slowly they come and say that we need to, you know, educate a bit yeah. more, you know, in, improve the education. Mm. Um, and there was also a representative from TAFE, I recall, from New South Wales that was there as well, which is mm. great. Mm. But for me, I think we need to go a little bit deeper mm. or, a lot of, or, or rather a little bit earlier. Mm. Instead of going TAFE and university, we mm. should go be going to the high schools. No, I agree. And dare I say it, primary schools. Mm. Because, you know, one of the jokes I always, you know, have fun with my guys, I said, I've, you know, you've heard kids go in the front of the class Telling everyone that they want to be a fire engine driver, mm. a train driver, mm. a truck driver, right? Well, that's closest to what you're going to hear to logistics. Oh. No one's going to stand in front and say, well, I want to be a freight forwarder. No. no <laughs> look, look, you're spot on. It's really, <clears throat> it's, a, it's an unknown industry, yeah. really. And look, as terrible as the last couple of years have been with the pandemic and the supply chain issues, the only, probably the only good thing about it is it's put us on the map yeah. to a degree. Yeah. Um, you know, we've had a lot of media coverage um, um, over the supply chain issues, and now and things that people take for granted, um, they're now they're now thinking, well, how do things get onto our shelves? Exactly. And how do things get, come in and out of the country? And to be honest, it's a miracle that it does. Um, <laughs> but, but it's only. It's really only achieved just because of the professionals like yourselves yeah. and, and, and others in the industry. Yeah. What you do to navigate through these crazy processes that we've still got, whether yeah. it's, you know, moving containers off the wharf through to, you know, even dealing with our regulatory agencies, yeah. it's bloody hard work. Yeah. Um, and, and it is a real professional service yeah. that makes it all happen. Yeah. It's a big challenge to try and translate that into getting people to, kids to want to be um, in this industry. But it's something I, I think I agree. It needs to get started high school. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that's that's something that we're, we're actually talking to a couple of different entities about, you know, some possibilities of going down that path, but not easy and not easy to do it without some significant funding as well. Yeah. But you're right. And the other challenge is at the moment, which we're hearing from a lot of our members, uh, and you hear about the great resignation. Yeah. A lot of people, unfortunately, are resigning from yeah. the industry because it is hard. Yeah. And it's harder now than what it ever has been, you know, trying to get space on vessels, yeah. trying yeah. to explain why you can't. Yeah at times to your customers and it's a really, really tough job yeah. that you've got and some people are just thinking, why am I putting myself through it? Yeah. So um, we've got to continually innovate and we've got to make it a more attractive and a better place to work. Absolutely. And I think, you know, you hit the nail on the head in terms of, you know, what goes on moving a container from A to B. Mm. It, you know, you're dealing with a lot of people mm. and one of the hardest things in any company or any industry the biggest challenge is dealing with people mm. and with supply chain, so many sets of hands and there may be so many things that can go wrong. Mm. So for the operator there pulling the lever, it mm. takes a lot of hard work. Mm. But how we have sold our service as an industry, we have failed our, the very people who's servicing it mm. because they, they're not treated as a professional, yeah. right? The messaging hasn't been strong enough to say we are a profession. You know, we've commoditized every single yeah. segment. You know, mm. I recall back in the days when you were a customs broker, rightly mm. so, that was a prestigious role. Yeah. You know, you were getting paid, you know, back in the days, 
buy the customer a lot more money to clear a shipment yeah. than it is today. Yeah. The constant downward pressure, and I dare I say, I don't, and I don't want to be bashing any sector, but you know, yeah. but the multinationals, they bastardize the yeah. entire service at these customs clearance, yeah. right? Because they've rolled it in and it's like, do you want fries with it? As opposed to this is a fundamental important part of uh-huh. import-export. You know, yeah. <laughs> uh, look, like if, if really we're on the same page with this for sure. Um, one of my real frustrations, and, and and we're still working really hard, it's to try and increase that perception of the professionalism of yeah. the sector as well. Yeah. Um, because, like you said, it is such a competitive environment yeah. that pricing. And I don't want to be – I don't want the ACCC to see this and think that I'm trying to uh, collude to get prices up. This is a casual chat, guys, a casual um, chat. But the, the, sector, the sector needs to be able to provide a professional service fee for a professional service. So long, the whole sector – and that's including a lot of our members as well – they're making a buck, but they're making it out of surcharges and other add-ons, yeah. um, not out of a professional service fee. Yeah. As you said, to try and lift a customs broker fee yeah. uh, beyond a certain amount almost, you know, reaches gets scrutiny. But yeah. if you can get that same amount through some artificial surcharge, somehow it seems to be accepted. Yeah. And, you know, we've got a situation now with the stevedores, yeah. you know, where they implement these terminal access charges. Yeah. They... And you can see from ACCC reports, they're charging less to the shipping line and they're making up that revenue by putting a terminal access charge on the transport operator. And you look at their net result, they're not really profiteering out of it. They're just making money off a third party through a surcharge that the payer has no influence over the service or price. And then that gets passed down and cascades through the supply chain. To me... And what we're adv- one of the things we're advocating for is we say, look, the stevedores, like everyone else, needs to be profitable. Yes. But enforce them to charge their commercial client, the yeah. shipping line. Yeah. If the shipping line then can't absorb those costs, then they pass it on in negotiations with the freight forwarder, right. the importer, the exporter. Right. But as it is now, everyone's making a buck, but not through the right channels. That's right. And we're seeing it now with LCL depots as well and others. It's um, I don't know how we can turn that around, but it would be... In a perfect world, we'd be in an environment where everyone would be comfortable to charge a professional service fee to their commercial client and that would be, you know, seen as being acceptable. Well, I see this as a systemic issue of generally the industry being very short-sighted, mm-hmm. right? We constantly – we are our own worst enemy, right? Mm-hmm. Like let's go back to the clearance subject, right? Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, 100 bucks, $150, right? Mm-hmm. And the border force now needs to go – you know, enforce compliance. Yeah. You know, things are just not done like the how it's used to be. Mm. Well, no wonder. Mm. When you can't compensate the broker for to do a proper job and you're, you know, literally charging peanuts, yeah. what kind of work do you actually really stick in return? Right. Now, if the brokers, if they were able to get more mar- uh, revenue for that profession or be recognised as such and be rewarded as such, I can assure you there'll be a lot less compliance issues. Yeah. That's saving the Australian border force uh, dramas as well, yeah. you know. So, like anything, you know, if, oh. if you if you if you pay peanuts, you're going to get monkeys. Well, <laughs> you take that to the other extreme. I, I would say the level of um, compliance on imports is still pretty good. Mm. Um, you know, with the the professionalism that we've got with the broker community in general is 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 you know is very impressive, especially right. when you compare it to other parts of the world. Right. Where it's lacking is on exports. Right. Um, now, again. 
export declarations uh, are thrown in quite often for free or very little charge for, for it. And, and the quality of the work there yeah. reflects that fee. Right. Now, you start talking about potentially things that have been talked about the World Customs Organisation of one country's export data could be another country's import data. Yes. Well, if I was another country, I wouldn't want to rely on Australia's export data. Why well, do you think that is? Well, again, it's the lack of compliance by the government agencies over time. They've never mm -hmm. really focused on export declarations. And because of that, I think the industry gets sloppy and yeah. it goes down to the lowest common denominator. Right. Um, now, even if the Australian Border Force or the government wanted to turn that around, they couldn't do it overnight. Yeah. It would need a, a focus of time to um, allow enough people to get trained yes. to, the, to the level of, say, a customs broker on imports yes. to be able to do the export work. And we couldn't do that overnight even if we tried. Yeah. But it's, again, something that probably should happen and yeah. should happen or start the plan now and make it happen in the years to come. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, again, this is being just having the foresight and just having that planning process. And, and I keep on saying this, our industry has been very poor mm. because there's a lot of us, mm. right? And I always say to my folks um, during the training sessions is that there's a, the, the only reason why within any industry there's a lot of competitors it's because there's no one in it that's really doing a great job. Mm. Because if the yeah, so if you've got someone who's in an industry who's doing a great job, that will be keeping the competition away. Mm. You know, for example, when Apple first launched the the iPhone, for many mm. years nobody can come close. Yeah. But if you look at the freight industry, you know, freight mm. forwarding, just 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 freight forwarding, which is a small sector in the entire logistics and mm. which is part of the the wider supply chain, there's a thousand of us in New South yeah. Wales alone. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yes, we, we all know the big guys and we all know their names, mm. but then there is just so many of us. So we ask, well, no one's really doing that well good of a job where there's room for all these competitors. Yeah. Sure, there's a lot of fly-by nights and what have you, but the principle remains true. So there needs to be some form of, I guess, again, what you do through your advocacy, through your representing uh, the industry, you know, start from the younger talent to create that robust tighter group of professionals mm. so that we can keep away the riffraffs um, that ultimately strips away mm. at the very essence what it is to be a, um, a freight guy. Yeah, look, um, you know, we talked about it earlier, you know, that like we used to have the situation where your apprenticeship into the industry would be like what I said what happened to me. You'd be a runner. Yeah. You'd just be purely handling... But even handling the documents, you became familiar with them and and there was a succession plan and then if you had a bit of nous about you, you would become a compiler and start assisting the licence broker and, and there was a succession plan. Yes. We've, um, we've lost a lot of that. Mm. Um, so... Again, technology sort of has worked against us there because we've got electronic delivery That's orders right. and all the rest of it. And then a lot of the um, data entry type work that was a part of that apprenticeship is now either being done offshore or even being done by by bots. And and, and I yeah. don't really understand how they work, but <laughs> somehow um, somehow they they can automate that function. Yeah. So even the offshoring is now becoming redundant yeah. to a large degree with the likes of technology that's overtaken that. All great, all creates efficiency, means you can do the work at a lower price, but we have lost that traditional layer. Um, what we need to do now is sort of reinvent and what's the new apprenticeships 
going forward. And it'd be even interesting, like even from your business operations, like how you've been able to, well, to manage that. You know, you know uh, again, then we we are going to chase this rabbit all the way into the hole. Yeah, and we're going to be here for for, 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 for weeks, um, Paul, because this is exactly what I, what, what I think about on a, every day. Maybe an anecdotal story here is this. Um, Prior to COVID, we we've always since 2015 we've always ran an internship program, mm-hmm. both for local uh, uni students mm-hmm. and for overseas uni students. There were mm-hmm. agencies that basically, um, in fact, overseas tertiary education level um, for them to get their um, degrees, whatever they must go overseas for a certain period of time and do an internship in a real world industry in a real world job and for six months. So we always had spots available for these interns from overseas. So we have folks from Germany, from Netherlands, from mm-hmm. um, from France. You name them, we've had them, mm-hmm. and and they're just a different mm. different ball game altogether. Mm. You know the quality of the people that's coming mm. through. So what we have here is we have what's called an intensive training program for all of our operations people as our industry will know it. Okay. But we don't have a customer service or operations department. Mm. They're combined as one. Mm-hmm. So these folks are not assigned tasks, they're mm-hmm. assigned customers. Mm-hmm. But we teach them all of the building blocks for them to be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Did, did you want to have a guess? How, what was the quickest that we were able to cram the entire freight forwarding process from talking to the customer, getting the order, getting the job booked, moved, clear the shipment and delivered the entire process. What was the quickest time frame we got someone to pick that up? Don't know. You tell me. Two weeks. Yeah, very good. Two weeks. Mm. And his name was Paul Bodenberg, if he's watching or listening. He was a young German guy. Mm -hmm. He literally just finished high school. Mm. He hasn't even started university yet. Mm. And he already had the foresight to come overseas to take an internship mm. and I asked him, why are you doing it? He goes, well, that's what I want to do. Mm. But secondly, he, he was already poached mm. by one of the big pharmaceutical companies. Right. The education program in Germany mm-hmm. is that these industries like the farmers, mm. the, you, know, the, the, you know, the big pharma, mm. they will go to high schools and look at all the top performers and literally mm. they will sponsor that person's tertiary education yeah. with the career path built into their business. Yeah. That's how they find their future talent. Yeah. And after hearing that story, I'm just sitting back going, geez, mm. where do we start? Yeah. How do we start it? Yeah. Right? And it took this guy literally two weeks, mm. which I can assure you, Paul, I've met people in, my, in the industry through my days mm. that has been it for 10 years, mm. wouldn't have done all what he has done in two weeks. Yeah. This is the disparity and this mm. is the issue. Mm. So you are right. You can't touch the, do, uh, the documents anymore. You can't do the runners anymore because the technology is taken. Well, mm. We know that. And mm. this is going to be the future. In mm. fact, freight forwarding in 10 years' time will not be freight forwarding what it is today. Mm. It will be a lot of automation. Yeah. It will be, you know, I mean, AI, analytics, big yeah. data, blockchain. That is going to be the future of our industry. So a lot of the current tasks that we have in terms of employing, when we employ an operations person or a cartage person, or they'll be non-existent anymore, mm. right? Mm. You got all, so you have automated trucks. You got autom- they're going to do automated ships. They've got mm. uh, the automated terminals already yeah. operating out of China and even Barcelona. The whole terminal is all yeah. automated. Yeah. Soon everything is going to be systems talking to systems. Mm. So the industry as a freight forwarder, mm. which is 
traditionally right now, even you look at it, my company right now, we are pushing forward with tech. But right now, if you look at it today, in this moment, we are still essentially glorified data entry people here. Mm. Mm. <laughs> right? Mm. That's what they're doing. So we're trying to automate all that out. Mm. Um, so in time, what we're going to have, folks here would need to pivot into essentially become system resellers. Mm. Not system resellers, in some, but but more so as guiding the users, our the you know our customers on how to leverage our system or how to use the system, mm. and then to be essentially the full control tower, looking at the system and do exception management. Mm-hmm. But even then, given enough time, AI will take over that. Yeah. You know, so it is a bleak picture. But that side of conversation that's going to happen to any industry, not sure. not not just unique to our industry. Yeah. For us, you know, it has to be tech. Mm. And over and above developing tech, it has to be slowly, slowly getting the mentality of our people to switch from what they're doing into the tech world. And that it means simply including them in any of the tech development conversations mm. so that the people at the front line understands. Mm. Because you can't go and you, know, you keep on doing what you're doing, let us develop a system, and then somehow at the end of it, we're going to come together and everybody's going to get it. Mm. Good luck. It's not going to happen. Mm. So what we have here is we have a collaborative experience between our folks on the front lines and our tech folks and the leadership. Mm. Then we all come together and make sure it's a collaborative experience so that we actually understand what the hell we're creating Mm. and making sure it's always in touch with what we are creating for our customers and Mm. how we save our time in the back office on the back end. So I've got a question for you. That's... I suppose what you the picture you painted there creates, I suppose, threats and opportunities. Yes. <clears throat> um, just say we do get to the stage where you know you can get the AI and you can get a whole lot of automation yeah. and all the rest of it. Do you see the role of a freight forwarder into the future, or do you see or because the one thing you don't have is the ships or the aircraft. Um, now the shipping lines and the airlines can buy all that mm. technology mm. that mm. you've mm. said. Mm. Where, do, where do you see the freight okay. forwarder role? You're asking great questions, Paul. <laughs> well, the thing is, you see, it is my personal opinion mm. from the years I've been as a freight forwarder, the truest essence of a freight forwarder, mm. according to La Chang's dictionary, mm. <laughs> is one who knows how to leverage assets, mm. be it your own or external. Mm-hmm. The shipping lines got the ships. Mm. They've tried to dabble in freight forwarding. They've failed miserably over the years. Mm. You right? They tried to offer the trucking service. Mm. Um, um, uh, in, I mean, in Australia, a few times now, mm. where they want to include the trucking yeah. end. But they don't capture the fact that there is D high. They don't capture that there is something's going to go wrong. Mm. Right? They just think it's just going to happen smoothly. That's in the utopian world, which is mm. unrealistic. Mm. So the freight forwarder's value has always been. Who is best right now mm. in any part of what we do? Mm. And then we leverage on that. Mm. That is the legwork of the freight forward. And that is what I feel is the essence of a freight forwarder. Mm. You shouldn't need to have one warehouse or two warehouses or ten warehouses. Someone always said to me, I recall many years, you know, because I've always believed a non-asset model in terms of when it comes to freight forwarding or logistics. Mm. Right? I mean, you know, my background is C.H. Robinson. They're the largest non-asset-based freight forwarder yeah. in the world. Mm. And that is like, you know, what some guy will say to me, oh, but you, don't, you, but you guys don't have your own warehouse. You guys mm. don't have your own truck. Mm. And I say, okay, well, if I've got 10 trucks, what type of forwarder does that make me? Mm. Compared yeah. to the guy with the one truck and a 100 mm. truck. Mm. 
Mm. How long's a piece of string? Where mm. do we draw the line? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's enough supply out there yeah. when it comes to these fixed assets. Mm. So, the freight forwarder role right now has always been leveraging the best out there because our mm. customer relies on us for the best out there. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they can go direct to the shipping lines. Yeah. They can go direct to the truckers, mm. right? So why we exist continues to be the freight forwarder needs to know within the industry who is the best relevant to the customer you're serving. Mm-hmm. That is today. Tomorrow is a lot more interesting um, 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 outlook. It's like the work that we're currently doing will no longer exist. Yeah. If you look at the true essence of logistics from a military sense, it's about going to places without an established point or distribution channel. You literally got to recreate that distribution channel to make sure it's the most efficient so you can get the supply to the frontline mm. troops. Mm. Modern day logistics guy, you can have a lot of you know, guys come and go, I'm a, log- a, a logistics professional. Mm. Well, yes, yes, you are right in the current sense, but all the ports you're dealing out of, it's already established. Mm. Like for say Shanghai, Sydney, mm. it's still going to be Shanghai, Sydney. Mm. You know all the shipping lines, there's five shipping lines. Mm. What what value are you bringing to the picture? Mm. So compared to the old world logistics to logistics now, it's mm. it's everything's discovered. There's mm. no more value for mm. that logistics professional anymore because mm. anybody can go and do that. Mm. So of course there are subtle nuances now with this COVID um, 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 disruptions. So mm. you've got to know, keep your ears on the ground. Okay, how are you going to get that space from there, and yeah. you know how to get that extra dollar saving there. Mm. But that we're really talking peanuts here. Mm. It doesn't. It strips away at the core of what it is to be a logistics professional. Mm. So that has to shift. And what that will shift means that it will come with tech. Mm. It will come with tech. Ultimately, we need to really become objective about what it is that we're trying to achieve here as a freight forwarder. Mm. Yes, we're moving stuff from A to B, but ultimately we want our customer to succeed in their competitive environment, mm. so they can be, so they can grow. Yeah. If they grow, you grow. So. We need to now start pulling our heads away from what we do that's already established, right? Mm. Booking a container from Shanghai to Sydney is, mm. I mean, is exactly that. Yeah. We need to start pulling our heads into our customers' area now mm. and really go into a consultative approach and say, hey, this is your product, these are your lanes. Do you have visibility to how your product is selling? Mm. And we're really focusing on the SMEs now. Mm. And I can assure you, most of the SMEs probably don't. A lot mm. of them are still working on Excel spreadsheets, yeah. you know, mishmash of different systems, mm. trying to somehow give themselves the best chance of selling that mug or whatever it is mm. that they're selling. Mm. As a freight forwarder, we need to change our mode of selling into their world and say, okay, we know we've got the shipping side covered. Mm. How can we now give you the tools mm. so that you can operate better as a business to grow? Mm. So, yes. There is some bleeding into as a freight forwarder and there's a huge shifting and molding to mm. what we are now. The days of a freight forwarder simply moving a shipment from A to B is fast running out mm. because it's going to be automated out, right? Mm. We need to now become more entrenched with our customers mm. to help them sell better with our logistics experience. Yes, which shipping line to use and all that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, that is where I generally see the direction heading and this is what we are planning ourselves to be. Mm. Um, and, and, and I can talk about this on yeah. and on. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, but it's interesting. So, but you, you know, even, 
again, I'm probably interviewing you, you more than me, but I'm very interested in, in all of this. So the talk about the future and the tech. And I'm even impressed that, you know, we've got the, this set up here today and, and the whole social media, which has just blown me away. I'm a bit jealous, actually. I would like to have this as a part of FDA. But where do you go with the tech? Is that something that you plan to develop in-house or do you, again, source we, that yeah. from third parties or a bit of a We mix? develop all our tech in-house. Right. We do not believe in outsourcing mm-hmm. purely because... Not that there isn't great product on the marketplace, mm. like you saw in your recent webinar. There's some great mm. people doing some great things out mm. there. And if you're really clever, mm-hmm. you can leverage these things very well and you're mm. going to make a huge difference to your mm. customer. Mm. Okay? And putting the customer really at the, you know, as the, as the holy grail here. Mm. Um, but we feel that if you really want to push a vision forward where things are plain to see, Relying on third parties will will satisfy now, mm. but it will not future-proof if your vision and direction is clear enough and you know exactly where you want to go. Mm. So we've got we get people from external developers come up to us all the time. Outsource to here, outsource to Ukraine, mm. outsource to mm. India, outsource to Philippines. We've always said no mm. because these folks, you know, are tech company trying to build for industry, mm. and that has never really gelled too well. Mm. Right, we are now an industry company trying to build tech for the industry, mm-hmm. and and this is the subtle nuance that we like to see, and we will persist. And it's hard yakka mm. because with borders being shut, talent isn't available. No. You've got big guys like Wise Tech of the world sucking mm. up all the talent. Well, not mm. even then. Look at the YouTube, Facebook. Mm-hmm. If you're a coder, mm. it's just code. Whether yeah. you're code for this guy, same thing. Yeah, and most of them want to go towards the fancier brands. Mm. And it's been hard yakka to find people to develop for an industry, mm. like you said, no one knows about. Yeah, I read an article the other day, you know, even the Facebook, YouTube and the Googles of the world, they are losing their top talent in tech developing mm. to all the cryptocurrency projects. Mm. And it makes total sense. Now, if you're a coding nerd, mm. you're like, geez, crypto, mm. this is the frontier. Mm. You will naturally mm. go towards there. Mm. So all of these people, they will even shun Google to mm. go to crypto. Mm. God, what do we have a chance in logistics? Mm. <laughs> so it is hard yakka. But again, if you're, I like to think our vision is very, very clear. Mm. That's why we persisted. It's mm. a bit slow moving, but what else are we going to do? Mm. You know, this is you know, the, my favorite thing to do. You know, (laughs) so, so yes, so we are a bit slow moving, but it's happening. Everything Mm. is done in house. Mm. Um, And, um, and like I said, I still feel that there's a huge opportunity in the industry. um, And, and it has to start from the grassroots and, Mm. you know, through your advocacy, through, you know, going into high schools and Mm. telling these kids, Mm. just educate them a bit more about Mm. it. Mm. You know, that's going to make the industry sustain itself a bit longer before everything takes off. If we get more smarter talent coming in here, yeah. they can probably fend and defend the industry better yeah. against the inevitable whitewash of tech. Yeah. You know, they could come up with different ingenious ways of how we can pivot and shift. Because mm. you're still talking to someone who's been you know, in, mm. in this game for a long time, so I've got sort of blinkers on yeah. and I don't have that yeah. you know, external vision that these young folks can bring to the yeah. game. Yeah. So... It's chicken or the egg. Mm. 
It's chicken leg. Mm. <laughs> so this is why, like, you know, again, Paul, this is my favorite subject to talk about. Sure. I, I, I love this industry and your advocacy is really what, you know, I feel is has to be fundamental to, and it fits in like beautiful Tetris game. You know, yeah. it, it has to, everything fitting together. Yeah. How do you feel about the current, um, 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 the tertiary educational slash syllabus for supply chain professionals? Yeah, look, it's, you know, we've had the, well, the, the traditional area which we talked about has been the, the licensed customs broker. So we've got a diploma uh, situation for them. Yeah. There is a diploma for international freight forwarding. Yes. And, but again, unfortunately, the, the mindset, I think, in Australia as compared to other parts of the world, Again, it comes down to this whole professionalism. Yeah. So people do the diploma in customs broking because they want to get a customs broker licence right. so they can get the salary that comes with it and, right. and the other work. The freight forwarding uh, diploma hasn't had the same type of uptake because it's not got that same regard as what it has in, in other parts of the world. Coming back to what attracted you to the industry, the advertisement to travel the world, the freight forwarding diploma should be of interest to young people yeah. because it pot potentially is their ticket to work in freight forwarding in other parts of the world. They could say, yes, we've worked here in Australia and I've, right. I've used this software product and I've done this and that, but unless they've got that, that bit of... Um, paper behind them and the discipline that goes with that, yeah. um, you know, we, we're probably lacking a bit there. But I think, again, we're talking to providers and looking at the concept of from school through to these diploma qualifications that exist now through to higher education again. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned uh, WiseTech before too. Yeah. Um, I know we've had some personal dealings with Richard White uh, yeah. from, yeah. from WiseTech. Yeah. He's passionate about training, whether it's training in the tech area, yeah. but it's also where he's, you know, he's a very wealthy man and he's committed a lot of his personal funds to, to training in this area. Yeah. But he's also doing it in the industry too. He's commenced now and developed... Uh, put it together a team to do the WiseTech Academy, right. um, which is doing all the compliance stuff around DGs and all of that, yes. but also doing the customs brokers diploma, the freight forwarding diploma, and will ultimately look to have that interface with universities. Yes. Um, now, ideally, you're going to get other training institutions as well look at that, compete with that, and and like with anything, competition is what really drives innovation. The best, yeah. Yeah. Um, and we need we need competition in that space. But right. to the credit of the WiseTech and the Academy, they're taking a lead uh, in that space, right. and we're working quite closely with them on um, on a lot of different initiatives. And the big bonus that they've got too is that they've got a bit more wealth than FTA to be to perhaps drive some of these things. Yeah, well, I I remember when WiseTech was a much smaller company when I first joined the industry in the in, in the late nineties, mm. and I recall back then there were. There were a lot more collaborative because they were getting the smarts. They used to send teams into the freight forwarding operations department. And I remember there used to be a wise tech person. They used to sit next to the operator, literally writing down pen and paper, yeah. you know, what you like, what you don't like, what would you like to see back when they were still trying to carve up, you know, and and an understanding of what it is, yeah. how, how, uh, how things should function, you know. So yeah. I've definitely seen them sort of, you know, go – go um, from where they were to now, which is a huge success story for an Australian tech company. And it's things like that that inspires me, you know, because yeah. this is where we need to be, you yeah. know. Um, um, but 
it needs to still come from not just in the tech area, but from every area. Yeah. You know, you're not going to develop good tech if you're not passionate about logistics. Yeah. How do we get that inject that passion yeah. into logistics? Oh, look, and look, like you said, it might be the, the you know the paradigm. You know, as as the industry changes and like you said, it moves away from glorified data entry. Yeah to the need to bring in smart people who are given the opportunity to innovate yeah. and to come to you and go, La, yeah. why are we doing this? Yeah. Why don't we do that? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, but that will... And again, maybe that's where the, the, um, the smaller forwarding companies yeah. have that ability to pivot, as you said, yeah. and actually be innovative rather than just being a factory. Um, and, and churning out the, uh, churning out the work. So yeah. look, let's face it: the industry <laughs> hasn't changed that much in my time. Yes. So if I think back to the early 1980s, the only difference is things were a bit more manual. Yes. But we still had manifests. We yes. still had airway bills. We yes. still had, and we still reported to customs. And and it hasn't changed. Yeah. The only thing that's changed is it's done electronically now. Um, Maybe, maybe as you said, maybe the next 10 years is when we really see change. Yeah. Not just doing the same thing the same way but on, on going from paper-based systems to electronic systems yes. to a bit smarter electronic yes. systems. Maybe the next 10 years is where we don't just redo but we re-engineer. That's right. That's um, right. So it'll be fascinating. And it'll be fascinating, I think, to see who, who survives that change and who prospers in yeah. that change. And um, and look, it's something I look at even with our own Freight and Trade Alliance. We've got now about 360 freight forwarders as yeah. members of FTA. Yeah. How many how many will be there in, in 10 years' time? You know, will I will some well, that disappear? That depends how many will continue to join you well, because that will keep it robust so you can advocate more so they can remain sustainable and survive. Well, let's hope so. <laughs> let's hope so. We can create the platform, but it needs, again, like entities like yourselves and others yeah. who who can, you know, grasp the challenges but have the foresight and and deal with the enormous challenges that are no, no doubt going to hit. But, yeah, um, yeah um, just grow with that yeah. and, and provide that difference. Yeah. Well, I think, you know... How many will will survive? Well, depending on how many of them are truly in it for the essence of logistics, yeah. or are just in it because once were a salesperson, yeah. have a, a book of customers he's drawing his income from, yeah. and he's happy yeah. with that. Um, versus the diehard logistics, like you know, we we want to change the world. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think that ultimately will be the separating point. Um, you know, and. And I've spoken to a few folks in my time about, you know, exactly wanting to advocate more mm. for the industry. Mm. And, um, and each and every time, most if not all of them have always said, yes, when we first started, we had the same vision, but then yeah. I got married and had kids. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's your success. Uh, yeah, that's true. You're, that's still, true. you're, still, <laughs> looking, you're still looking for that perfect woman to come into your life. <laughs> that's true. My, well, my... My woman is, you know, um, this industry, and um, and uh, and I'm perfectly happy and perfectly fine, mm. um, because you know, like I, I mean, for for you know, okay, this is going to be true confession now. Mm. <laughs> um, for probably 15 years of my career, I would dare say, 
I was a salesperson from dot one mm. and, and, and I sold large and small and controlled a significant amount of business. For 15 of those years, I didn't have a clue how anything worked. Mm-hmm. Not a single clue. Mm. My entire sales pitch wasn't based on any training, mm. was literally Frankenstein of a sales pitch from this company to that company mm. and trying to mesh it together. Mm. And I would dare say there's a lot of my sales, ex-sales colleagues, mm. they are exactly the same. Mm. And when you have that environment, mm. let's call us cowboys, yeah. selling to the market, it takes away from the experience of mm. being a professional yeah. because people won't view you as a professional anymore. Mm. So it's the latter part of my career in this industry, which mm. then I thought to myself, well, you know, we've got to stop the bullshit. Mm. The bullshit needs to stop. Mm. Let's just actually take a bit of time and study, mm. read, understand, so that you can, you know, if you can't beat it, join them type of, you know, thing. Yeah. So I'm a reluctant passionate logistics person, mm. um, but I'm happy I am in it now. Mm. And, but I don't want anyone to go through my experience, mm-hmm. you know, because it is yeah. for a good part of it demoralizing, yeah. you know, where, where you felt you've contributed nothing mm. to the world mm. other than BS. Yeah. <laughs> so there's my confession for, the, for, <laughs> for this show. Oh, well, we've, got, we've, got, we've got a title for the episode, <laughs> Stopping the BS. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I think we've touched on, on, on every point, Paul. Um, but, you know, I think what I would like to definitely say, you know, aside from the show, the content, but this is the subject with or without the microphone. This is exactly the same yeah. thing. I, there is no show here because yeah. this is my life. This, mm. this is my career. Mm. Um, there is no way out. Yeah. <laughs> this is, you know, literally survival die. Yeah. Um, so... You know, I will do whatever it takes to try to promote this industry. Mm. I mean, we started from many years ago when we had these interns coming in and they all, because why it's late for university, we had these interns coming, they're already studying to, to, to be something else. Mm. But we still included them and put them in different roles is because we want them to see an experienced logistics in an environment mm. that isn't what they would imagine in a warehouse or something, you know. Show them that it can be a lovely environment to work in. Show them that things doesn't have to be laborious and tedious. It's mm. actually fun and, you know, you can be part of, you know, we can be like the best mm. of them, right? Mm. Um, and that then we send them back out in the world. Mm. And I'm quite happy to say is that, you know, a few of the interns we had from Europe did come back to us and they've actually either joined on the trade, and you know the um, the um, um, our customer side become buyers, mm. you know for for yeah. for coming dealing in logistics, sure. or have actually joined the logistics industry. Yeah. So, you know, through little things like this, but we are just one voice, we're just one entity doing it. And 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 if the rest of our industry colleagues can hear this, mm. I would encourage everybody to do that because for too long our industry had been worried about self interest. Yeah. It's how to make that buck and how to take someone else's client mm. or container or mm. air freight. We get that. That's competition. Mm. That's commercial. Mm. But every now and then, they needs to come together as a cohesive voice, mm. be it through FTA's voice mm. and, and advocacy, because it's only through the survival of the industry can each one of us survive within it. Yeah. And this self-interest, you know, it's me or you type of mentality cannot be a constant. Yeah. 
You know, we, we, we need to put the guns down, for lack of a better analogy, and actually just come together and talk about how are we going to make ourselves more attractive to the young guys that's in high school that wants to come in and study for the industry yeah. because that's the only time we're going to have any significant, meaningful change. Without it, we're spinning in the wind. Well, La, <laughs> you're inspirational, um, highly motivational. I feel like we need the Rocky thing running in the background now. Um, I think I might, I, might, I might put on the sweater and run home. Um, but, um, yeah, look, it's been... It's been great talking yeah. to you, and it's um it's given me a bit of a, a a pep to to you know again encourage to do what we keep doing. Yeah, and yeah, hopefully we can collectively make a difference going forward. Absolutely, and you know, and 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 if it's one parting comment and one um, comment that I would sincerely like to make, Paul, and also to our audience and listeners, is that join FTA. And um, this is, it's not a shameless plug, but one that I see value from my perspective. My biggest qualm, like I said at the beginning of this show, has that there has not been enough industry bodies that has been hardworking and been advocating for our industry, right? Fighting for the rights of our truckers, fighting for the rights for the freight forwarders, um, against all of the, you know, anti-competitive actions being taken by various bodies purely because they were large enough to do so and also to be putting our industry in the front of um, um, the ministers that are relevant to our industry. Um, without our contribution towards FPA and its membership, you know, this won't happen. So we need to make sure it sustains and continues the momentum because it's only through this level of advocacy can we be understand by more people and be appreciated and make a difference. So on that note, if you haven't joined FTA, please join FTA. No, thanks. <laughs> I might need a clip of that. I might put that on our website. Thanks again. I'll make a Thank TikTok you. for you. Thank okay. you so much again for as our first guest. And dare I say it, what a what a brilliant you know um, 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 a pleasure to have you as our first guest. It's um, it's an absolute privilege. No, thanks, Lara. Again, appreciate the opportunity. Thank you kindly, Paul. Okay. Need help with your next shipment? Feel free to visit our website at www.tgl.co to book an obligation-free consultation. You can also check out the video for this episode on our YouTube channel, and while you're at it, add us on Instagram at tgl underscore global or LinkedIn and Facebook by searching Think Global Logistics. Thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.